Bibles be in your seat, in the back of your seat. And doing that helps us do justice in the community. We will donate a pair of socks in your honor to Northwest Children's Outreach and, and uh, help some kids in our community who are going without some of the basic necessities like food and clothing and socks and shoes. And you can help us love them in this way. This morning, our, our main text is going to be from John chapter 18, and it's a long text, so it won't be up on the screen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. But I would just uh, encourage you to, to let me read it to you and you soak in the, the meaning of the story. But there's a verse back in John chapter 12 that I wanted to point out because it kind of fits with what we're talking about today, and this will be up on the screen for you. John chapter 12, verse 43. I think we have that one on the screen. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. And that comes at the end of a, of, of a story. This is right before Jesus washed the disciples' feet like we heard just a few minutes ago. It was right before all that happened. And, and there, were, there were great things happening just before Jesus predicted his death and talked about unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, then it cannot be raised to a new life. And how there were people within the Jews who wanted to, to believe Jesus and his story, but they could not believe because they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. And so they never came out. They never made their faith public. They never let people know that, that they were a follower of Jesus Christ. And this morning, we're going to look at Pilate and kind of get into his story. And there's a phrase I, I hope you'll remember. Don't worry, I'm not going to go long like I usually do. If you're looking at your clock, you're just getting started. Don't worry. There's a phrase, if you forget everything else, if you tune everything else out that I say this morning, this is what I hope you hear. It's ridiculous to ignore Jesus just because the crowd is loud. It's ridiculous to ignore Jesus just because the crowd is loud. How many of you have been to OMSI? Anyone in here been to OMSI? Yeah, uh, we went there on Friday. Uh, Hannah, our oldest, turned eight on Friday, and she wanted to go to OMSI. She had done this reading challenge uh, at, for the Washougal Library over the course of the summer. You know, you have this little chart, you fill it out, and if you, you keep turning it in, and then you, if you get to the highest level, you get your name thrown into a drawing, and then if you win the drawing, you, you win something like a family pass to OMSI. And it's a great thing. You know, um, it's, it's a great place to go. It's fun to go. The problem is um, when I went to check in, I thought it'd be fun to check in, let people know we're celebrating Hannah's birthday. We're going to have a fun day celebrating Hannah's birthday. And I noticed on, on Facebook when I got onto my phone, when I went to check in, it said um, that 72,000 other people uh, had checked in. And I didn't realize that that meant that on that day there were 72,000 people at OMSI. It doesn't actually mean that. That's just what it felt like. It felt like there were 72,000 people that had checked in at OMSI that day. And um, it was Oregon spring break. And at the end of Oregon spring break, on the Friday of Oregon spring break, Friday afternoon, you know, there were a lot, a lot, a lot of people at OMSI. And when, when you have four kids, our oldest is eight. Henry is about to turn six. Harry is three and a half. And Harper just turned two. Um, you very quickly go from, from a from a, uh, a standpoint of being able to engage and have fun with your children to, 
just standing back and making sure that you have at least an eye on two of them and hoping that Becky, my wife, has an eye on the other two and that in this crowd, this vast crowd of, of thousands and thousands of people, that they weren't going to slip in to another group of people and be gone forever. You, you go from, from a man-to-man defense to his own defense, and then you kind of go back to the prevent defense and hope that you just, you're going to prevent your kid from being stolen at that day. And um, I noticed that uh, we, try to, we try to keep our kids well-behaved and well-mannered and stuff like that. We want them to grow up and be respectful of, of people and things like uh, uh, respectful in, in, in busy places like that. But at the very beginning, I, I'm one of my kids, I don't remember who it was, but they did something. I went to correct them, and I noticed that they couldn't hear a single word that I said. So I was just going to have to be okay with whatever their behavior word was because the crowd was loud, and there was no way I was really going to be able to compete with the crowd to have a, an engaging, fun time with my kids. And, and I don't know about you, but there are a lot of other times when the crowd is loud. There's a lot of times when, when the crowd around us seems to have a voice that, that I just don't have, that there's, there's enough people saying something that it seems like I just need to go in that direction. You know, right now we live in a world where the, the crowd is loud. There are a lot of things that the world is throwing out and throwing in our direction that, that seem like they're just so loud. They're saying them so strong. There's so many people in the crowd saying those things that, that we just have to go along with them. But, but this morning, we, we really need to pay attention to what Jesus did and what he said because it's ridiculous to ignore Jesus just because the crowd is loud. So, John chapter 18, verse 28. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning. He had already been tried and interviewed and grilled several times by this point. And next week we might get, might get into it a little more. Next week probably a little more PG-13, so I just warn you, uh, if you, if you normally bring your kids into the service, we're going to get into some of the some of the nastiness of the crucifixion because I don't want us to, I, as you've heard me say, I don't want us to take for granted the work that Jesus did on the cross. And I want you to see, I want us all to see and remember the price that he paid. But by this point in time, Jesus had been interviewed and questioned overnight. He got taken out of the garden in the evening and then this is the next morning and he had been bounced from house to house and and the Jewish leaders had broken several of their own laws to to put Jesus in this compromising position they they weren't supposed to um, they weren't supposed to do a trial at night like they did a trial at night with Jesus they weren't supposed to do a trial without witnesses like they did the trial with Jesus and there were several other laws that they broke just so that they could condemn Jesus and get rid of him once and for all and now at this point He's going from Caiaphas, and he's going to be led to Pilate. Uh, by now, it was early morning to avoid ceremonial uncleanliness. The Jewish leaders didn't enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover, which was coming up the next day. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? Verse 30. If he were not a criminal, they replied, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. And Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. And here we start to hear the crowd getting loud. We have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. And Pilate then, he went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or... Did others talk to you about me? 
already Jesus is questioning whether he's listening to Jesus or he's listening to the crowd. Is that your own idea? Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. And with this, he went out again to the Jews, gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. You can see Pilate, he's standing probably on a balcony, talking out like you, like you think about you know, the Pope when he goes out and addresses the crowd in, in, in the square there. He's standing out and there's thousands and thousands of people who have gathered together because they want to see Jesus Crucified, and this was this was a probably most likely a particularly unstable political time in in Jerusalem, and so they they were prone to riots. They were prone to uh, to getting behind some of these causes, and they probably just wanted to riot for riot's sake and maybe nothing else. And Pilate comes out to the crowd, and, and he shouts to the crowd, "I find no basis for a charge against him." But it's your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. And as we heard, Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. He had fomented an insurrection, was trying to overtake the government. Who knows what he was trying to do. He had just gotten himself thrown in jail because of the uprising he had taken part in. And then, just as though it doesn't mean much, we'll talk about it more next week at the beginning of chapter 19, it starts this way. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a thorn of crowns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out to the crowd and he said to the Jews, there, look, I'm, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. Almost like you can imagine a, a mob or, or somebody taking a part in a protest chanting, crucify, crucify, crucify. The pilot answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. But the Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. And he went back inside to the palace. Where do you come from, he asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, 
Pilate said, don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? Why aren't you talking? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. You see, when you're in a crowd and the crowd is not driven by the truth, the crowd is driven by the lies, the crowd will continue to try any lie to get you to follow in the direction of the crowd. They will try different arguments. They will try different approaches until they find one that works because the intention of the crowd is to get you to go away from the direction that you're going. They want you to go with the crowd. If you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar, hoping that they would find some argument that would convince Pilate to turn him over to be crucified. But when Pilate heard this, when he heard the shouts of the crowd, when he heard the arguing from the Jewish leaders, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement. And it was that day, it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. So you can see we've gone from morning to noon and Jesus has been questioned. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But, but they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. And finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. In another one of the gospels, we find that he washed his hands to try to make himself innocent of this because he thought Jesus was innocent and he didn't want to be guilty of crucifying Jesus. But from history, also know that he committed suicide several years later, and we don't really know all of the reasons why, but I imagine this played a part in it. But you can see, what, when you listen to the voice of the crowd over the voice of Jesus, you, you're not driven by truth. You're just driven by whatever direction the crowd is going that day. When you're listening to the voice of the crowd instead of the voice of Jesus, you're going to go left and right, and you're going to go forward, and you're going to go backward, and you're going to go up and down, you're going to go whatever direction the crowd is going, whatever direction the crowd is shouting and trying to lead you in, that's where you're going to go. It's not, it's not going to be based on, on anything greater than just what the world is shouting at us, and, and you have to know that the world is shouting a thousand different things in our direction every single day from companies who just are shouting at us to buy their product to movements who are shouting at us to abandon our faith and to go in an entirely different direction. There are shouts and shouts galore. But throughout this encounter with Pilate, we see, we see this pattern. We see Pilate talks to Jesus. Jesus answers. Pilate finds no reason for Jesus to be held or crucified. He tries to release Jesus, but the crowd shouts back. The crowd keeps shouting. So I just have to ask us this morning, which voice are we listening to? Which voice are we listening to? Are we listening to the voice of the crowd? Or are we listening to the voice 
of Jesus. It's ridiculous to ignore Jesus just because the crowd is loud. See, the problem is there are way more voices shouting wrong things than, than there are voices that are shouting the right thing. You know, there are so many voices that are shouting lies. There were so many voices shouting against Pilate and trying to convince Pilate to do what eventually Pilate did. There, there were just so many voices, and I don't imagine Jesus was yelling. He could have been, but I don't imagine Jesus was yelling in his own defense. But was the crowd really right to want Jesus crucified? Did they have any evidence? Did they have any proof that, that he had done what they said he had done? Had they found a witness? Had they found someone to come forward and testify against Jesus? No, they had not. That's why they tried him at night, because they didn't have a sufficient argument. Was the crowd right in wanting Jesus? Of course they weren't right, but of course Jesus also had to be crucified to pay the price for our sins. But then Pilate speaks again to Jesus and he sees when he talks to Jesus, he knows when he hears from Jesus, when he listens to Jesus, that there was no reason to execute him, but the crowd was loud. It's ridiculous to ignore Jesus just because the crowd is loud. Earlier in the series, we, we came across this verse. The reason I was born and came into the world is to testify or this was part of this chapter. The reason I was born and came into this world was to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And Pilate asked that question that probably many of us have asked in our lifetime. What is truth? And I wrestled with this. I've been wrestling this for a long time because I, I really want to have an understanding. And I, I'm still in process on this. But when I went back through Jesus, when he talked about the truth, I, I discovered something. And I want to take you through my journey. Back in chapter 8. Verse 32, Jesus says this. This is a phrase that we're all familiar with. He says, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Later in chapter 8, he says this. You, talking to the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil. I wonder why the Pharisees were mad at him. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak the truth, why don't you believe me? There's one thing I, I want to point out just from what Jesus said in that passage when you are so used to listening to the lie, when you have spent so much time hearing lies, when you've spent so much of your life believing the lies that the world tells, it becomes really hard to believe that the truth that Jesus shares is actually the truth. It sounds absurd. It sounds like that is the lie. It sounds like that can't possibly be what is right. That can't possibly be the truth. But the reason it doesn't sound like the truth is because we have believed that the lie is the truth. The world is full of lies because that's what control the world is under. Then later in John chapter 14, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I am the truth. He didn't say, I know the truth. He said, I am the truth. That's something we need to 
pay attention to for later. No one comes to the Father but through me. And then John chapter 16, verse 13, he says, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. And then later in chapter 17, he says, when he's praying to God, just before he's going to, to the garden, before he's going to be led and a way to be crucified, he's praying for his disciples and, and for us. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And I want to ask you a question this morning. What is the truth that sets us free? What is the truth that sets us free? Jesus said that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. See, the world is full of lies, but there is a truth that can set us free. And if there is a truth that can set us free, wouldn't you want to know what it is? Is it an idea? Is it a philosophy? Is it a way of thinking? Or is the truth the person of Jesus Christ? Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the truth. I don't just know the truth, but I am the truth. What does that mean? Why would he say, I am the truth? What is the truth? And then he says, when he's going to leave and he's going to go up to, to, to the Father in heaven, he says he's going to leave the spirit of truth. What does that mean? Well, your word is truth. What? Okay, we get, we get the truth is important, but come on, Jesus, tell us what the truth is. I think one of the reasons that maybe he never really explained it or maybe he did and we just don't have it written down is just because we're supposed to know that Jesus is the truth. Yes, I'm sure when, when Jesus was praying and he said, sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth, he's talking about the written word of God, but, but we should know by now that it's not just the written word of God that is the word of God. In fact, Jesus, as we know from the very beginning of this book, this, this journey that we started several months ago, that at the very beginning, the very first, birth, the, the first word, uh, verse in this, in this book, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Hmm. The word was God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Is Jesus talking about the Bible or is he talking about himself and the spirit of himself that he was going to leave behind for all of us? See, when he was talking to Pilate, he said, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Well, of course that makes sense. If you're on the side of truth and you know who the truth is, not just what the truth is, well, yes, you're going to listen to Jesus. But what is the truth? Pilate was asking the wrong question. He shouldn't have been asking what is the truth. He should have been asking who is the truth. See, when Jesus was talking about himself this way as the truth and the life, he didn't say, I'm the way. I know the truth and the life. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Okay, so we've changed the question from what is truth to who is truth. But what does that mean? What does it mean that, that Jesus is truth? What is that? How, how can we understand that? Well, there are a lot of things that we know to be truth. There are a lot of things that we understand to be, to be true. For instance, we know that I'm standing on a stage and this stage is holding me up. I'm not going to fall through to the floor because this is a strong enough stage to hold me in place. It holds me every single week. So we know that this, this is a true statement that this is a stage. 
But do we know where the origination of that idea came from? Yes, we know this is a stage. We know this. We call this a stage. But where did the origination of that idea? Well, we could probably go back through history and figure out where the origination of the idea of a stage came forward. It probably came from Shakespeare and you know, or the who know, whatever. If you're a theater major, you can talk to me afterwards and give me a, a thorough understanding of where the stage comes from. But talking about the origination of truth the beginning point of truth, the starting point of truth. How do we know what that is? How do, we, how do we have an understanding? And this is, by the way, I just want to throw this out. This is one area that I think the theory of evolution comes up desperately short. I know I may be stepping on some toes this morning, and I don't mean to, and if this frustrates you, you can feel free to talk to me about this after the service. I'm not trying to uh, step on anyone's toes or hurt anyone's feelings, but see, when... When, we, when everything about life is the result of chance, it's the result of an accident, it's the result of maybe this becoming, maybe that, how does something like truth or logic even come to exist? How, does, how do we even get to a point where we have a true statement? How do we even know that there's a word called truth? And through this process of morphing and becoming this thing or that thing, how did we ever figure out that two plus two equals four? And if we figured that out, what is the force that decided that 2 plus 2 equals 4? And why didn't the force or whatever that was that decided that 2 plus 2 equals 4 not decide that 2 plus 2 equals 5 or 6 or cat? Because if the truth was up to us, wouldn't we have figured out more by now? If the truth was up to, wouldn't we have a better, I know a lot of you may be thinking, we do know more now. Yes, there's a lot more that we know, but we still don't have answers to questions like, where did truth come from? Maybe you have an answer, and I'd love to hear it and be welcome to talk after the service, but Earlier in the series, we defined truth as this, that this is so, where that which corresponds to reality. So we know by looking around us that there are lights and there's a roof over our heads and that we're sitting in a chair. This is so. Those are true statements. But one of the big, one of the big arguments that we are dealing with right now is, is the idea of relativism or the truth is relative. And I just want to throw one, one statement out there about the idea that truth is relative and uh, Hopefully it makes sense to you. And that is this, uh, the, the idea that truth is relative does not follow simple logic. And, well, that would be the point, right? That would be the point of, of truth being relative, that it shouldn't have to follow logic. And so, but let me ask this question. If, if what is true for me is that relativism is false, then is it true that relativism is false. If what is true for me is that relativism is false, then is it true that relativism is false? And, well, you could say, well, for you it is, but, but not for everyone. But if you say no, then what is true for me is not true, and relativism is false. So, if what is true for me is that relativism is false, then 
Is it true that relativism is false? If you say no, then what is true for me is not true for me. Then relativism has to be false because that was my truth and it's not true. But if you say yes, then relativism is false because that's what's true for me. Relativism seems to defy the very nature of truth, namely that truth is not self-contradictory. Our best attempts to bring understanding to the universe and why things are the way they are will always come up short. Every single time when we're trying to explain it by our own logic, by our own means, by our own understanding, any time we are trying to use the fallen, faulty logic that we have to explain why things are the way that they are, we will always come up short because we are not the originator of truth. If we leave the originator of truth behind, if we leave the one who created truth behind and we leave him out of the, out of the equation, we will never be able to come up with a reasoning or a philosophy or an idea that solves all of the world's problems and brings sense to the situations that, we, that so desperately need it. This is why we hope in Jesus. This is why we believe in Jesus. This is why Jesus is so important. This is why the statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life is so important. It's because Jesus is not just saying, I know the truth. I am the truth. I am the origination of truth. I was there when truth was created. I was there before truth was created, and I will be there after truth dies. Whatever truth is, I am it. This is why we must do everything we can to zero in on the voice of truth, to, to learn whatever, whatever we must learn so that we can listen to the voice of Jesus so that we can really focus in to what Jesus is saying because he is the truth. He has the right answers. He has the right things to say. We need to learn to shut out the, the lies of the world around us. We need to learn to shut out the things that are coming and flying in our face that are so far from truth. We need to stop listening to those things and listen to the voice of Jesus because it's ridiculous to ignore Jesus just because the crowd is loud. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Jesus is the truth. Who are you listening to? Who are you listening to this morning? Are you listening to Jesus? Or are you listening to the world full of lies? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son. I thank you that you sent the living, breathing embodiment of truth to walk among us. And that even though the world has an unnumberable amount of messages to throw in our direction that seem to clamor for our attention on an hourly, minutely, even second-by-second second basis, we know that if we can learn to listen to the voice of Jesus, the voice of reason, the voice of truth that, that loved us enough to die on the cross for us, that, that we can find the truth because we know the originator. We know the one who started truth because we know the one who is truth. Father, by your grace, through the help of your Holy Spirit, the power of the spirit of truth alive within us, help us to learn to ignore the lies of this world. Help us to learn to ignore the lies that the enemy would seek to distract us by. Help us to ignore the, the lies that that the, the prince of darkness, the prince of this world would seek to use to keep us off mission, to keep us away from doing the things that you've called us to do, the things that you have put us on this earth to do. Help us to instead be full of the spirit of truth. 
Help us to instead be full of the love of Jesus Christ and allow that, the love of Jesus Christ, to compel us to do and move and be who you want us to be. We thank you that you proved your love by dying on the cross for us. Now, Father, as we turn toward the week ahead, help us also to be the living, breathing proof of your love to a world that has believed a lie. In Jesus' name I pray.